Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. There's a lot of news, a lot more than I expected. Some of them great news, some of them not so great news. So I don't want to spend too much time on news, but there's enough to talk about that I think it's worth spending the first quarter of the session talking about some of these things. One of them is a follow-on from a previous episode, which is around the hack for crypto.com. They have come out and confirmed that there were about 400 accounts that were compromised. And if you listen to that episode, I said that I found it very unlikely when he initially said that nobody lost money. Do, do, do. And I said, I don't think that <laughs> I don't think so. Um, somebody had to lose money because some people said that, yeah, we did, you know, lose some cash. We saw transactions flying out. So there had to be some loss in a thing. Now, the numbers for the as far as the fiat equivalency in US dollars came to around 15 million and 18 million ish in fiat which equates to about close to 5000 ethereum and then close to 500 bitcoin so we're talking about a large number of these high level cryptos that are high value that were targeted and of course the speculation now is well how can the 400 accounts be the case if you're talking 400 accounts hold 500 Bitcoin amongst them. That's not unrealistic, believe it or not. But five, nearly 5,000 Ethereum, that is a bit odd. It, it's not impossible. So it's possible, in my mind, that you could be having in these 400 accounts larger like hedge funds or celebrities or larger players that have a lot of money, wealth thrown around. And it's possible that they may have been targeted because somebody knew of them which would potentially lead to a some sort of an inside job that would have identified that list, right? Because if we're talking targeted groups, this is my auditor hat coming on. If we're talking targeted groups of people where we knew that they had a significant amount of money, and because we knew that, we particularly targeted those accounts specifically, the only way you would have known about that list and have been able to breach them from inside of an exchange would be an inside job if the 400 is accurate, number one. Number two, if the numbers of fiat equivalency are correct. Number three, if it's true that only that amount were breached and nobody else was touched and there was no other money lost. This and it's inside, right? So from an auditor perspective, there's only one logical result and I'm not accusing, I'm not claiming, I'm not stating, I'm saying all signs point to potentially an inside job. We'll have to wait and see if they're willing to give a little bit more information on this. But as of right now, that's what it's looking like for the purposes of what we're seeing here. I don't know where that one's going to go because, again, with BitMart, you had some people get reimbursed and some people not get reimbursed. So either they will get reimbursed or they won't get reimbursed, which is unfortunate but true because Crypto.com claims that Anytime there's a situation like this, they will make it right, make it people whole. So let's hope that they do that. But again, hopefully somebody up there is listening and they will take my feedback to credence when I say, please stop doing mobile only, mobile first strategies. Please open up to web. Please be a little bit more inclusive because it could have very well been a simple matter of something in the mobile code. We don't know. That's my point. In other news, Bitcoin, there is some chatter now that Bitcoin is going to hit $100,000 sometime this year, and it's going to be transitioning to a different form. I don't know what that means, 
But this is coming from Bloomberg, who tends to throw stuff out there without it sticking to the wall. But what they're talking about is that Bitcoin might change to a no-risk store of value and replacing gold. So let me summarize what, he's, what I think he's implying. Today, Bitcoin has a significant amount of risk because as an asset, it is still held by private organizations and not, with the exception of El Salvador, it's not held by governmental agencies and not adopted as a currency. It is still kind of a high-risk asset, very close to a security, but not quite a security. What he's talking about is if it's adopted on a wider scale as still something that has its own intrinsic values like gold and silver and copper and others, but is adopted as basically a, an accepted store of value. And globally, we accept it as a currency, which means it has to be fully regulated. Then it removes the risk. First of all, I don't think that's ever going to happen. That's my opinion. Second, even if you did do that, it would not spike the price. It would probably tank the price. Why? Because regulation is expensive. When you have expensive regulation in the picture, it tends to drop the price and value of things because some of that money has to go to adhering to the regulations and you're not going to get to a digital store of value without regulations in place. So I suspect Bitcoins will stay the way that they are. This is my opinion. I do think that the vast majority of Bitcoin popularity is international, meaning outside of the United States, which is fine. But because of that, and like it goes back to the India PM I talked about yesterday, there's still not a global, consistent, common standard ado adoption of this crypto in general. And until you get there, you can't talk about Bitcoin in singular form. You have to kind of address the whole industry. And there has not been an appetite to do that. As a result, there's these stovepipe solutions. And I think those hinder any sort of opportunity to get to a single digital store of value. This is my opinion, and I stick to it. On a smaller bit of news, in Singapore, there were some crypto ATMs that got shut down, and there's a desire to do increasing regulation for cryptocurrency in general. They want to regulate advertisements. The first start was to ban crypto firms from advertising in public places. This is somewhat, I say it's small news because it's just Singapore, like it's not like Japan or China, but it's still important because it may set a precedent for sentiment and behavior out there around crypto advertisements, crypto ATMs, etc. Now, it seems like if anybody is listening who is either from Singapore or has Singapore kind of, you know, family members or friends and can help add some light on this, I'd be interested to know if there, what's the sentiment? Is this a popular decision? Because generally speaking, Singapore has been regarded as largely high as far as adopting cryptocurrency, but then the legislation starting to get in the way. So is it kind of this battle between the citizens and the government, or is the government kind of just cracking down because they feel like it, or are the citizens starting to get on board and saying, we don't want this crypto? Anybody who has some insight, I'd love to take it. Again, you can go to CryptoTalkRadio.net. We have a form there that you can contact and submit. Or go to the Substack version of the podcast, and we have a comments box down there. I would love to hear any additional information that you might have with respect to what's going on here, because it did come a little bit out of nowhere and somewhat unexpected from Singapore specifically. Congress has talked about 
uh, the Bitcoin mining hearing that's going on, of course, energy use deep, 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 as always. And apparently they've called some witnesses for this hearing that's going to be happening. Uh, and I believe that's happening either today or tomorrow. I think it's tomorrow. And I don't, I, you know, I've, I've talked about it a couple times. I keep, I don't know why this is even a thing. I, I got to say it because we keep talking about proof of work and energy impact, energy use deep, deep, deep over and over the frick again. And we're never talking about the fact that proof of stake is a thing. Proof of stake is ongoing. They're trying to get it over there. It's a process. It's going to take time. And eventually proof of work will not be a thing. Bitcoin's proof of work is probably going to be a thing persistently. But if you look at numbers, it's by and large Ethereum right now that's kind of taken the forefront in terms of the real impact of the proof of work because of the popularity of Ethereum-based applications. Once ETH 2.0 gets its act together, you're going to see a significant decline in that. And we're not going to get rid of mining completely. To me, this is all posturing. To me, this is them trying to act like they're doing something. To me, this is them trying to appeal to their, you know, Green New Deal people, people that want to ban farting cows, people, people that shut down Keystone people, the people that don't understand what negative impact something like this has. Instead of just saying, let's stop you know, let's stop focusing on this. I don't know where it's going to go. I still think it's posturing. I still think it's stupid. I don't know why it keeps happening and I get frustrated every time I see it, but I bring it to your attention just so you know, this is still a thing and they have not let up on that energy use do, do, do mantra. It's still going. On a positive note though, on the SEC, they have an advisory committee. They're calling for the SEC in general Rather than kind of working in a vacuum and sitting off in rooms with a bunch of old people that don't understand it, this one committee member has said, you know what, you need to open up this up to the public and get their feedback. And to give you a sense of what that process might look like, when you're a business owner, you have to complete, in the United States at least, you have to complete certain forms and certain screening for the purposes of immigration. It's under immigration, under Department of Homeland Security regulations, but it's the I-9 form that you have to complete. This is probably the most tedious process in all of hiring because historically this form, they built it under the assumption that you're, as an employee, walking into the office day one, you brought your driver's license, you brought your social security card, or you brought your passport, or you brought your green card, whatever you brought with you to identify who you are, and then your social security card or your you know, taxpayer ID, if you didn't get a social, like say you're an immigrant, you have we assume you brought all that with you. And on the day one, you're gonna fill out this form. At, at one point, you had to manually fill it out. Then you gotta sign it. Then the HR representative has to physically look at these pairs of documents. If you have a passport, it's only the one, and it's this whole convoluted situation. Over the years, and it's taken decades, because I wanna put you in perspective. It's taken decades to get to the point where we're at now. But over the years, they got it to where, okay, you can you don't have to manually fill it out. You can at least type it into a, pay, a form and then just print it out how to sign it. But you still had this document review process, stupid process. They wouldn't take digitals. They wouldn't take copies, nothing. You had to physically see the original, which made no sense. Then the DHS, because of COVID, opened it up and said, as long as you review them over video, we're fine with it. No business adopted it. Every business just said, 
you know what, let's just do this other process, which involves a notary public. The notary public, the problem is there's a specific type of notary that's an acknowledgement as an authorized representative, and you have to go through a special certification for it. And it's tedious because, number one, you're paying the money for the notary, which in certain states is somewhere 20, 30 bucks, just to have them look at the freaking documents and sign their name on a form. Broken, even though the DHS has said, just review it over video, you're fine. No business does that. They do this other one, which pawns it off. But it always had been a physical process, always, regardless, because you still have to have the form. They put out E-Verify. E-Verify essentially negates the need to do the physical documents as long as they pass E-Verify and you print out the results and you store it with the completed I-9 form. There's not an auditor in this country that would ever mess with you, but companies are afraid because they're afraid of auditors and they shouldn't be because if you just do what the DHS says to do, the auditor is, if the auditor gives you flack about it, they're wrong. No business adopted it. The reason I told you that story is because recently the DHS put a public opinion out there, asked for feedback on some new guidance to try to fix this and say, okay, let's, let's see what they're saying out there. And they were willing to, they wanted the smoke. They wanted the feedback from the different business owners, regular people to say, should, should we change this process? And if so, how? And uniformly, Everybody believes we should get rid of the physical document review. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't verify anything. We should get rid of the need for a physical I-9 form because we're in a point of everything else being digitized. Like, let's streamline the process because it's the slowest part of the whole process. Slower than the drug screening. Slower than the background checks. It's horrible. And so them eliciting public feedback meant they at least were interested in hearing what the public has to say as opposed to what they had done, which is sit off in a room and just make rule and then force everybody to comply. So this SEC committee member says we should do the same thing. We need to open up for public comment about what we should do. What we're doing is ignoring the public voice. Let's get it out to the public voice and see what they say. We're using a test which has, I've talked about securities and the test is very tricky because it's, it basically means that everything's a security if you think about it. And so having them open up for public means that, yes, we can now put a voice to it and say, here's what we think, here's what we should do, here's what we should, here's what we feel as the American public. If you're in a country that doesn't do public opinion, this is something that I think should be a standard anytime you're doing something that's a disruptive change on a wide scale is to introduce that to everybody else. So the petitions out there, they did, they do have a kind of regular comment email box, but it's not, first of all, you can't go to a site and see what everybody else is saying. So having it to be a straight up, you know, source where it's a public thing opens up to say, well, no, I'm not alone on this one. And then of course, XRP keeps coming up and the contradiction of XRP. And I think it's good that we're having this conversation. I think it's good that we're getting people that are fighting back because it's been a problem for a long time. It's not going to stop being a problem in the short, but it's good for crypto to get to the point where we are having the conversation at the very least. And then the last bit of news that I thought was important. So this idiot Vitalik, right? The, the, the brilliant guy behind Ethereum or at least one of them, he came out and he said, and I mentioned on a podcast, I talked about him he says, nope, it's multi-chain, deep, 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 and cross-chain's not going to work, and cross-chain's insecure, and 
multi-chains the future. As of possibly yesterday, I think, there was a hack of the multi-chain protocol. And the hacker, it looks like they were just trying to send a message. That's my gut. Um, because they affected the protocol. They took $1.5 million from it, equivalent fiat. Um, there was a, apparently a group of them. And one of the hackers basically said, you know what? We're white hat hacker. We're there to send the money. We will send you back 80% of it. I'll keep the rest of 20 as a tip to show you that this was not secure. Basically, was the messaging that was sent there. And he said it in blockchain. So if you didn't know, blockchain has commentary functions built into it. So the interesting thing of this, of course, is it comes off the heels of Vitalik talking about multi-chain is the fact and the truth and the future. And then, boom, we see a, a hack like this. It doesn't mean that hacks are exclusive to multi-chain or that it's any less or more secure. But the point is, it speaks to why we should not sit there and just leap on a bandwagon and trash another one. That's what we should not be doing. We should be open to things and having the conversation for things that are already in place. Cross-chain is a thing. Cross-chain has been a thing. Cross-chain is going to be a strong thing. And we should not, you know, there's no reason to have multiple, but ultimately they're, they're bandages on the existing wound multiple times because we haven't fixed the underlying issue, which is the fact that the issues with Ethereum and outrageous gas fees have caused all these different networks to spin up. And because they are either forks or whatever, now they can't talk to each other, which forced people to create these protocols, which introduces security risks. How about we solve the underlying issue, which is outrageous gas fees, and then we don't have to have that problem. But because this idiot doesn't seem to understand that we're not fixing the root cause of the problem, he's only reacting with another bandage on top of it. And as we see here, it doesn't really solve the problem. I'm not advocating hacking, but I understand white hat hacking, and I understand what this person looks like they were trying to do to say, hey, guess what? I can take your money whenever I feel like it. I'm going to hold this as a tip so that you understand this is not the right answer, at least right now. Let's see how you fix the problem and patch the bug. According to the multi-chain, the people that that oversee the multi-chain, uh, there was a bug they identified, and then they had it patched a couple days uh, or a day after that this incident happened. But it just goes to show this is why we should not just leap to the latest something. We've seen it time and again. We're not fixing the underlying problem, and we're just putting lipsticks on a pig over and over again and not fixing the underlying root cause of a thing, which is just causing more and more pain for the people who are dealing with this because they trust it, right? It's money. At the end of the day, playing with people's money is like playing with their emotions. So that's my opinion on that one. Would you like to hear about our underdog token for the day? Let's talk about an underdog token. And I'm going to put this in a little bit of a comical context because it's not that I don't think that it's a serious thing. I think it's a serious thing, but... I also see that there's a lack of fundamentals with this one all across the board, and I don't know if that's by design, because it could be. I hope not. Or it could be arrogance, or it could just be a straight-up scam. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just telling you what I see in this project. This project's called AnyPrinter. AnyPrinter.money is its website. It's on, the, it's on a couple different chains. It's on the Binance Smart Chain. It's on the Phantom Smart Chain, and I believe it's Avalanche is the other one, Chain. And this one, I don't even know how to classify it because it, it was developed by what's called Spooky Capital, which is a different 
thing altogether I haven't talked about. But it has one thing that it tries to do well, which is you invest in the token, NEP, and as you invest in the token and then you hold it, they give you access to reflections and they have a list of different tokens across different networks. And then you can choose which of those tokens that you want to receive that reflection from. So for example, if you were to buy into NEP, I'll use mine as a, as a core example. If you were to buy into NEP today and then you just sit on it, you don't have to stake it. You don't have to do anything else other than just hold it. You access their portal, which is app.anyprinter.money. You connect it to whichever the network is that you bought in. So if it was Binance or if it was Phantom or if it was Avalanche, which is AVAX, you connect your wallet. And after you connect your wallet, it'll show you a couple of categories. One of them is your pending rewards, which is how much you are owed in your fiat. This just grows. So over time, it'll just go up and up and up and up and up. And it's 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 pretty generous with the percentage of increase because I don't have a major stake in it. I put a small amount in there just to test it, just to see what the thing was doing and how it would work so I could talk about it. And it was already getting up to like three cents, four cents, five cents with a very small amount of money. It's better than EarnHub's rewards, which is not should not happen. But regardless, you can claim uh, they have a compounding function for any printer, so you can get more any printer uh, tokens if you want. I don't know that that one's worth necessarily doing unless if you have a pretty decent bag like you'd have to based on the rates I'm seeing you'd have to have probably at least you know 10,000 or maybe 20,000 coins for that one to make any sense from what I can tell but they have like the Binance USD coin USDC which I'm assuming is the Binance version of USDC Ethereum which is probably the Binance Ethereum Cardano which is Binance's Cardano ADA uh, Phantom, which is Binance's version. So all of these, I, because I'm connected into the Binance network, are the Binance versions of these tokens. I don't know if there's a different set of tokens available depending on what network you're connected. That may be the case. But there's a lot of different ones listed, even ones that are unexpected, like Cheems, Inu, which is one I haven't purposely talked about because their coin market cap is all jacked up. Doge, which is the Binance version of Doge. Floki, um, which was, that's had its thing. Uh, MCC, which is another one similar to Spooky Coin, uh, Cake, which is on Pancake Swap, and a list of others. So you basically just sit on it. You don't need to stake it, which means you can access it anytime you want. These numbers just increase, and then you can go in, you can say, okay, I want this one, and then it'll just literally print that coin out to you. You pay gas in whatever the source was. So if it's Binance, you pay BNB. And then it adds it to your wallet, and then you would need to find the custom address and add it to your wallet so that you can see it uh, in your list. This is a very unique build because if you think about other ones like EarnHub, I'll pick on them. EarnHub does something somewhat similar, although with EarnHub, you can't see your how much you will make in any one of them. You can't get a sense of the comparison between token A, token B, and token C. And you can't, and they're, they're any flecked, which is what you, does it, doesn't, because the volume is just garbage right now, you don't see anything. Now, any printer's deal, their volume is just as bad as EarnHub's, but yet here I'm getting reflections on a regular basis. They come in roughly about every hour, pretty consistently. 
I've been testing it for a couple days and I've never seen an issue where it stopped. Whereas EarnHub, you might go two or three days before you see any change in the thing. And then when it does change, the amount you get is straight garbage. Now, in their defense, the EarnHub team is doing a V3 of Inflect, which is supposed to alleviate some of these concerns. But I just found it funny that these guys came out and they solved that problem of making sure you get the reflections like you're supposed to in however they built this thing. Of course, you do need to choose what tokens that you want, but it was able to come across as, okay, we, we've got this solved and we've been able to fix this problem pretty much better than almost everybody else in how this diverse reflection mechanic works. They seem to have solved it pretty clean. Now, let me talk about a little bit more on the tokenomic side. They claimed that there was a total supply of 1 billion of the tokens. That as a result, the price is somewhat up, but you can buy a pretty good amount of tokens for not a lot of money. They claim liquidity is locked for 180 days, so it's good that they outright say that's a thing. Uh, Binance Chain, uh, Avalanche, and Phantom, I was correct on there. They've got a 12% tax on buys and sells, and then the taxes are basically split. So the way that it works is... There's 12% of rewards, and then some portion goes to marketing, some point goes to liquidity. They farm across all the different networks, though. So when so being on multiple networks, that means that as people buying in on multiple networks, it'd be like tripling your take. Now, of course, that's kind of faulty because the volume that's on Avalanche, say, versus Bitcoin is not even close. But as you get on more networks, you're able to essentially combine different sources of the of the taxation so that your rewards can be higher. This is not unique to them, but them starting on the three networks, I think that would be at most forefront, that's not Ethereum, means that this might be what's supporting the strong reflections that I'm seeing potentially. And then they're talking about NFTs because, of course, the whole Ape NFT, which I don't understand, is a thing. So they're talking about doing that at some point. They're talking about borrowing and lending. Uh, they're talking about um, upcoming launch deals and then merchandise, and there's a lot that they're actively they actively claim to be working on. So let's get to the problems. Problem number one, and again, this may very well be by design. I'm not sure, but let me just talk about the problems. Problem number one: there is no white paper that I can see. There is the the Git book that I can't stand. I don't count the Git book as a white paper. I like a white paper. An actual white paper that's a PDF, that's a stamp of what you promised at a certain given point in time, that's not here at all. I guarantee it's not there. So I think that should be addressed. Figure out how to do it, even if it's some link from the Git book that automatically converts to a PDF. I don't know, don't care, but figure out some way to get it to where there's a flat PDF of your actual white paper with the same details as my rubric that I talked about. Speaking of the rubric, issue number two, there's absolutely no KYC to be found of any kind. Now, this tool was developed, as I mentioned, by Scary Chain. And if you look at the two sites, they're very identical. Scary Chain, they have gone through a KYC process by a service called Assure. The problem with those third-party services and the reason I don't really care for them is that you can't see the any of the details behind that review. Like, what did you collect? What information was stored? What did you verify? Location information of where these people are from. At least give high levels. You don't have to give their name because that's the point of the privacy. But I should be able to access 
this is a team. There's three people in Ireland and two people in Canada and one in the United States. Like, tell me logistically where are they coming from? Because it could be that you have 20 people out of Nigeria and they're all going to be scammers. So just because we know who they are doesn't mean anything, right? But at least I don't like this assure because it doesn't give you the location of places of people, their roles in the company, the fun, you know, the uh, tenure maybe. Ideally, true KYC would also involve being able to independently identify who the people are. So you would do this by way of, and this would do this would require that you expose who you are. But I can see a LinkedIn account. I can see something where I can see people, faces, names. Um, so I'm not really sold on the assure as an assurance because I can't see anything about what they vetted. What did you vet? And was it a quality vetting? Maybe it wasn't a quality vetting. Maybe it was a crap report. I don't know. So I don't really care for that. And the any printer side does not refer to an audit of that tool. Not that I can see anyway. If there is an audit, they certainly don't have it on the site anywhere. They would probably tell me, though, it's in the medium. Doop, doop, doop. I'm not hunting for it in your medium. It needs to be on your website. I assume that there's not an audit. I don't see anything fundamentally wrong with it, per se, as far as I look at the code. But again, to have, again, I want to see, especially with something like this, I want to see a dessert finance audit, ideally a CERTIC audit, but certainly a dessert finance audit. If they do have those, I'm not going to go hunt for it. You need to have it on your site. So it's possible that they do have it. But the site itself streams, it screams to me like you didn't really think through what true investors want to see. And you just want to do a basically a kind of this FOMO type approach of just come, come do it. I, I understand sales pitch and marketing and all that cool. But I think your website sucks, frankly. And I think there needs to be more there that are fundamental other than just buy it, which is what the site just says. It just says buy it instead of fundamentals about why I should buy it and who you are, and why I should care. So that's anyprinter.money. As again, it's on the Binance Smart Chain, on Phantom Network, and then on Avalanche. So for Binance, that's PancakeSwap. For Phantom, that's SpookySwap. And then I believe Avalanche is Trader Joe. I believe that's right. Um, and then there's a couple other ones, but the, those are the big ones um, if you want to buy on those networks. But take a look at that one and see if it makes sense. That's anyprinter.money. And once again, this one kind of came out of nowhere, but it's somewhat popular because there's a low barrier of entry to it and you are able to get these coins. I did test it. I was able to claim. I didn't have any issues with it. I was not, no issues buying it. Haven't tried selling it, but I didn't have enough to work, make it worth selling it on purpose. But then the reflections were pretty decent for what I did. And of course, those coins drop straight to your wallet. So you don't have to go claim uh, or you do have to claim the button, but they drop straight to your wallet. You don't have to stake what I mean, the any printer coins in order to get them, which is what you have to do on some of the other to tokens that are out there that do something like this. So it may make sense for you. And some of the fundamental things I talked about may not be big deals for you. I just think that to me, any coin worth their stuff should want that smoke and should be willing to put those fundamental things on the site. And if they don't exist, openly say when they will exist, who, what, where, when, how, and why. Now, let's go and circle back on some of our older tokens, unfortunately, but I think it's important that I at least put them back in conversation. But there's nothing that changed that I wasn't already aware of. So Thomas trending down. It's below that bottom resistance point that I mentioned before. It does seem to be in somewhat of a recovery state, but it is struggling at the bottom resistance as it was before. I believe, and some other people have theories right, that 
some of what's happened with the devs has played a factor. I think that's part of it. I think there may be some money that's sitting out there waiting for Zydermas to get its act together. But I also think that there's a subset of people who they don't know what to think. They don't know whether they should invest in this thing or not. And as a result, they're running to other projects. We are seeing Ship Doge as one that people are starting to talk about. Impact XP still has some popularity. Shinja still has popularity. I don't think I talked about Shinji yet. And some of these other ones, but also one that kind of came, I don't want to say out of nowhere because that's not fair, but one that started to get a little bit more exposure, I guess, in traders. And I would, I'd be shocked if there weren't a bunch of Saitama people sitting over here, but Cheems, which again, it's coin market caps all jacked up. That's why I haven't gone full on review on it, but I am watching it. I suspect there's people over in Cheems. I suspect there's people moving some of these other meme projects either as they wait for what's going on there or, and then e, uh, ETH fan token. There's got to be big players that came from Satama that bought into ETH well token at one point when it was spiking like crazy. And they're probably just, you know, using it to kind of temporarily hold on to stuff while they wait to figure out what's going on with Satama. ETH fan token, by the way, is at a strong discount right now. So I do believe that one's going to rebound quick. So keep an eye on that one. If you do watch all those projects, I think that one's going to rebound pretty darn quick from what I can tell anyway. It does seem to be on a uh, on a slight decline, which usually indicates it's going to have a breakout. I don't know how strong of a breakout. And I don't know how long it's going to last. That's the key there. Uh, the DR token, if you didn't see the update on social media, of course, that project had been, um, they're going to do a relaunch on that one because of some issues with the initial contract, but they treat it as a blessing because they were able to find some things that they wanted to refine in reflections and things to help people out. They've been communicative. Their YouTube site with the coffee episodes has been very informational. So that one's still, that one's going to happen again as a relaunch, but you should not have to do anything this time around because they're just going to basically do an airdrop of the new tokens once they got it sorted out. So once that relaunches, then pay attention to price movement. I'm telling you right now on that one because there's going to be a lot of chatter about it, if nothing else. Certainly chatter about that one. And Dozilla. I haven't talked about Dozilla in a while, and the reason I haven't is because Dozilla has, they basically got frustrated and they shut off any opportunity for anybody to talk about the burns because of what I suspected was a misinformation of about the burns and the nature of the burns. So they're, they're now saying that they're going to do burns and they'll just happen and they're not going to tell you when they're going to happen. I think that's a good idea if that's truly what they're going to do. I think it's a great idea. Don't broadcast a date. Don't broadcast a time because you're just creating that chicken little sense when things don't go the way they expect them to. Just let it organically do it. So if they're going to do that, great. Now, the thing that's interesting on Dozilla, from an inventory perspective, it is now in direct competition with Cheems. And Cheems' inventory causes me some great concern and the number of people that are jumping into it as opposed to Dozilla, purposely so, because I'll talk about that on the, whenever I do talk about Cheems, but from my perspective, Cheems looks like a, not a pump and dump, but it looks like people might be getting run off the ringer, whereas Dozilla has been pretty consistent in what they're doing. I just don't know what their plan is, and they've been working on the vault, but there's been other things that have gotten in its way, and I'm not sure what to think about that. Um, it, but it's a it's one of those competitions because they both have the sextillion tokens, which I think is absolutely a joke uh, from my perspective. And 
the uh, Ortu Imperium. I talked about that a while ago. That one's on the Polygon Network. Um, what I was told is that the head guy, who was one of the original guys who reached out to me, uh, has left the project. They're now kind of reorienting, redirecting, kind of shifting things around, and now trying to do a little bit of a push, and then really focusing on the NFT side. So the if you haven't looked at Ortu Imperium, it's now called Imperium Token. And again, it's on the Polygon chain. I strongly recommend you look at that one because that one, I think, is built rock solid. And the only thing that holds it back from awareness right now is, is just the fact that it's on the Polygon network, which is, of course, lesser known, but also with the issues with that Sunflower garbage game affecting the gas price of the token. But I'm, I'm stressing to you, definitely take a look at Imperial Token because they're doing big things there. No shit, which I covered the other day is skyrocketing and jumping. It's getting a lot more popularity in its place. Ever rises up ever very slightly. Green chart is no longer a green chart. The industry's shifting, and the industry's coming around, I think, to the new norm. And as we come out of the whole COVID, and we're hopefully getting to where it's an endemic and we kind of accept it, hopefully sentiment lightens up a little bit. And I, I'm still bullish about 2022. I maintain that. Tax season's going to hurt us a little bit, but I don't see it's going to hurt us to a significant degree. I think the model and what measure we should watch out is going to be Bitcoin, which is on the improvement. That's all I got for you today. I'll check in with you tomorrow.